0: Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you this morning and we are thankful for these truths. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. That we are in your hand. That you are watching over us, guiding us, protecting us, helping us to persevere. Because of this great salvation that you have predestined for us in Christ. And we know these truths and we hold to these truths. And we pray, Lord, that you would... Help them to become a part of how we live our lives and that we would truly be transformed to the image of your Son because we have confidence of what you are doing and will do to complete our salvation. And we spend eternity in glory in heaven with you. Give us your grace today and open hearts to hear your truth that we might be changed. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're coming back to the uh, Doctrine of Assurance of Salvation. Where is my thing? Oh, it's not there. So, the first part of our notes there is not on my slide. Look at that. So we had it on there last week, though. uh, The doctrine of assurance of salvation, as we have seen, is the divinely given confidence of the believer that he or she is truly saved. Or knowing you have faith in Christ and you will go to heaven. That is assurance. And we found that the Bible teaches us that we can have assurance of our salvation through some other doctrines. Through the doctrine of regeneration, preservation, and perseverance. And as we have looked at our outline, we looked at regeneration and the gift of faith that God caused us to be born again, preservation, promise to the regenerate, and then today we're going to look at perseverance through difficulties and doubts of the regenerate. Next week we're going to wrap up with full assurance of the regenerate versus the false assurance of the unregenerate so that we can have a better idea of you know if we are saved if we are not saved we can know that we have eternal life for sure be assured of that or if we don't recognize these things in ourselves we need to be sure that we come to god repent of our sin believe in christ according to what he has said believe the true gospel not the traditions of men and be saved and then we can have assurance of salvation and that's our heart and that's our desire we found that regeneration and the gift of faith is and the gift of faith is The gift of God, right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit creating new life in a sinful person by which he repents and comes to believe in Christ. God gives us a new heart. He gives us a new life. And he gives us that faith to believe. And we saw the doctrine of regeneration aids in our assurance of salvation because we can know the spiritual life we have was given to us by God And the faith that we have was created in us by God. And as we have said before, and we're going to say again and again, this is a faith that was created in us by God. It's not something I have to conjure up. It's not something I have to work at. It's something that God has given me when he regenerated me and gave me a heart to love him and to love Christ and to see my sin and his holiness. And the Bible's no longer foolishness and it's the power of God to salvation, all of these things like that, right? And that was given to us and it changed us and we recognize that both intellectually in the Bible but experientially as we, our lives are changed. We see those things. And so we see that regeneration helps us to have that assurance because God has done something in our lives. He has changed us from the inside out. And next we looked at the preservation promise to the regeneration regenerate. We're protected by the power of God. It is the teaching that God's saving purpose and limitless power ensure the endurance of the elect to the end. God ensures that. He preserves us. He regenerated us. He preserved us. You look at Ephesians 1, it's according to his will, his will, his will, all of these things that we are saved for. And we found that God's promise of preservation of the, re- of the regenerate re- was revealed in three ways. The power and the purposes of God, right? We looked at the promise of eternal life and how God saves us. And it's not just a quantity of life, not that we're just going to live forever, but it's a quality of life because, as Jesus said in John 17, 3, that This is eternal life that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And it's a different life. It's a radically different life that we have now because we want to live for the Lord and glorify him forever. And so the purposes of God we see in other ways as we saw last week. Also, we uh, see that the preservation of the regenerate revealed in the prayers of Jesus. He is interceding for us and praying to the Father that we would be kept. And that we would be one and that we would grow in our sanctification. And Jesus prays according to the will of God all the time. And when you pray according to the will of God, these things are fulfilled. And so we know that Jesus interceding for us and Jesus praying for us assures our salvation and our preservation to the end. And then we saw the presence of the Holy Spirit as well. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. He is working in us. He is encouraging us. He is prompting us by the word to continue to grow in sanctification. And he lives to glorify Christ. And so we are constantly seeing those things in our life as he draws us back. As he doesn't allow us to go and finally fall away completely. And so we see those things. And so then... The doctrine of preservation then aids in our assurance of salvation because we can know the power and purposes of God will never fail. The prayers of Jesus will always be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit will always be there to help us. He is always there to help us. He will always do these things. He will always be there and guiding us and God's will will be done. And so that gives us assurance. Assurance that we are saved and we will persevere to the end and we will have eternity to live in heaven with God forever because there's no condemnation there's no separation from God anymore in Christ and so when we believe these things here is God's work right God is the one who regenerates us and yes we have to believe but God was working in us all the time to do that God is the one who has promised to preserve us to the end now, some people would say, see, you can't teach those things about assurance because that will lead to all kinds of things that are easy believism or antinomianism or other things like that, right? Will this lead to that? passivity in the christian life or easy believism just say a prayer about jesus or once saved always saved no matter how you live your life or antinomianism like oh we aren't under the law anymore it's all grace and so then that leads to moral laxity and so you know when, if you're just going to endure to the end and you're just going to be saved so you know why try harder i'm in god's will is going to be done that's the argument that so many have for why we don't teach assurance and why we don't say you're eternally secure because people won't try hard to be a Christian and continue to work at being a Christian, right? And so the church will be, you know, have all kinds of uh, bad uh, reputations and the people in there will just be living like the world, if not worse. So we can't teach that. You're going to be saved to the end by God's preservation and by regeneration because it'll end up being a mess. You got to tell them, you got to work hard at keeping your salvation. You got to continue. You got to hold fast. You got to do that or you won't endure to the end, just like those passages say, right? Now, as we said, that's, that's not what that's talking about. It's talking about those who aren't regenerate and those who are regenerate to continue on and it encourages us so why would that moral laxity or like the free grace movement that happened a few years ago when they confused justification and sanctification and they said well you know if you just if you sin or if you're in sin you just look back at the cross remember what christ has done for you and so don't have to worry about it don't have to confess sin don't have to do anything as a believer and the guy who taught that ended up having an affair with another secretary and losing his ministry but anyway That's not the way it works, right? Why wouldn't that work? Why wouldn't people go to that? Why wouldn't the doctrine of regeneration and preservation by God lead us to just laxity and easy believism? And and we're all under grace, not the law? Why wouldn't that happen? Because of the doctrine of regeneration. When you are saved, you're given a new heart that causes you to want to obey God's commands. You're given a new heart to love Christ and to love his word. And you have the Holy Spirit in you who is constantly prompting you to continue and to grow in sanctification. And you want to because of your thankfulness for God and your heart that has changed. And you see sin and you regret that and you have sorrow over it. The sorrow that leads to repentance. And you want to please God and you want to be like Christ because God has changed you from the inside out. So it's not going to lead to that, is it? It's going to lead to confidence. Confidence confidence that because i am regenerate because god has started this work in me he's going to complete it and therefore i'm going to press on and so if it leads to things like this then that's evidence of being unregenerate and that's the problem that we face in the church in many churches today they've taught easy believism They've taught just say a prayer about Jesus. They've taught walk the aisle, say the prayer, get in the Dunkin' and brew. They've taught close your eyes, every head bow, and every, you know, every eye closed and just raise your hand. If you've raised your hand, then you're a believer because you said this prayer with me or whatever. All of those things are there. And people have acted like... They're believers because they come to church. Well, now I come to church. I'm supposed to do that. But then their lives don't change, and they get into moral laxity and passivity and antinomianism. It's like, well, I'm saved. Everything's good. Now, what do we do with those people? We can't say you're not saved because you did what we said to do. But God's word says that you're not saved. And so... That's the problem with those types of things, the traditions of men, as we call them, compared to the Word of God. And so we want to look at what the Word of God says and see how the regenerate were changed. So this is not the case for the regenerate, right? God gives them a heart that desires to grow in holiness, and we will do that. So knowing and believing the objective truths of regeneration and preservation taught in Scripture are intended to encourage believers to persevere in our sanctification. They're encouraged. They give us confidence. They give us assurance that God is working in us. One man wrote this. He said, It is notoriously untrue that confidence of success to the end inspires timidity or indolence or laxity or laziness. It doesn't do that in your sanctification in your walk with the Lord. It doesn't do that in your life. You may not be a very good football player, but once you're trained and you go and you throw your first touchdown, it's like, oh, I'm done. No, I want more of that. God shows us that. He helps us to succeed. He helps us to overcome sin. And we want more of that. Because we see the detrimental effects of sin on our life. We see the positive effects of righteousness on our life and the pursuit of holiness. And it is wonderful. We see the fruit of the Spirit. That's great. We want to be around people like that. And we want to be people like that. Who are kind and gracious and loving and gentle and slow to anger. All those things like that, right? So this confidence that for the unregenerate would be a false confidence, is not going to lead us away from that. It's going to lead us to keep going. And so God wants us to have that confidence and that assurance. And so we're going to look today at how we persevere, right? The perseverance through difficulties and doubts of the regenerate, right? And so we are to persevere. Some people, even theologians, would not just call it assurance, but perseverance, the key is the perseverance of the saints, and the point is that they persevere to the end, right? You will persevere to the end if you are truly regenerate, and therefore, the perseverance of the saints is the issue here. And, and I can understand that, but at the same time, there is something that God is doing, and there is also something that we are doing. In the perseverance. And God has intended the perseverance of the saints, the things that we do to persevere through doubts and difficulties, to encourage us and to help us experientially to know that we are saved. Does that make sense? And so it's not just perseverance to the end might as well be preservation, right? Oh, we're going to be there. But our part in perseverance is we persevere, right? Through the doubts and through the difficulties in life. So, we're going to look at a few definitions here. And again, we have the English dictionary. And we look at that because this is the English word they have chosen to translate the Greek word into so that we can have a better understanding of our English word, right? It's to persist in a state enterprise or undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. That's persevering. As we said before, if it's easy and everything's great, you don't have to persevere. It's nice. Perseverance and endurance and steadfastness are those things that come up when it's difficult, when there's discouragement, when there's opposition. Another dictionary says, "...to persist persist in anything undertaken, to pursue steadily any design or course course commenced, not to give over to or abandon what is undertaken." So I'm not going to abandon my faith. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue. I God has saved me. I've started this path of pursuing Christ-likeness to the end, and I am not going to stop. I'm not going to abandon that, regardless of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement, right? And so that's us and how we think those things through and how we think about perseverance as English-speaking people. But then the theological dictionary shows us That the teaching of perseverance is the teaching that those who are general believers will endure in faith to the end. And that's important for us to understand, too, because genuine believers, first. And they endure, because difficulties will come, in the faith. The faith that God has given us, we keep holding to and we keep living by to the end, until Christ returns, right? Right? Or being continually drawn back to faith in the midst of doubts and difficulties. That's perseverance. I'm continually drawn back to faith, to this faith that I had that caused me to believe in Christ, to the faith that I have that God's word is true, even in the midst of doubts and difficulties. That's how we persevere. And that gives us assurance as we are persevering. When we're in the midst of difficulties and doubts and troubles and things like that, we look to who God is and we're like, I still believe this. And I'm struggling with this, or I'm struggling with sin, or I don't respond the right way. And man, am is am I, it even worth it? Am I doing this? What's going on? Am I saved? And you look to God for help, and you're like, Lord, I need help. I'm like, oh, there's evidence. I'm turning back to that faith. I'm turning back to his word. I'm looking for comfort in him through his word and through the Holy Spirit and even through the church who encourages me in the truth, right? And so that's continually drawing back to the faith in the midst of, of doubts and difficulties. Nice 1828 Webster's Dictionary that I have has this in the regular English dictionary. Continuance in a state of grace to a state of glory. I just like that one. I like to have a dictionary that has a little scripture to go with it. All right. So definitions, perseverance then implies that doubts and difficulties will come into a person's life that will cause them to have to respond in belief or unbelief. To keep trusting God or to stop trusting God. And if you are a believer, if you're regenerate, you will keep trusting God. It is hard. You may be like the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to keep trusting you. Not leaning on my own understanding, right, in Proverbs 3. But we will keep trusting. But if we fall away, it's like, you know what, it's just not worth it anymore. I'm trying to live for Christ. I'm persecuting. I'm just done. I'm sick of it. It's not the abundant life that I was promised From the pastor in Houston on TV. This is not my best life now. It's not what I want. It's not easy to believe in Jesus. I didn't count the cost, and so forget it. And so some do that because they haven't been regenerate. So understanding how perseverance aids in assurance of salvation begins with knowing three things. Three facts about perseverance we're going to look at today. Perseverance is needed in a fallen world first. Second, perseverance is God working through us. And third, perseverance is experienced through obedience. We experience it through obedience. So perseverance first is needed in a fallen world. And there are reasons for that. First, because tribulations tempt us to doubt. Tribulations will tempt us to doubt. We know this for experience in our lives, and we see that in the scripture. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that's in the context there of the first few verses where it says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And the context there of that word of encountering that is when you, they just come around you and they come fall on you and, and you don't even know what's happening. You don't know what, what's going on. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was trying to live for the Lord and all of a sudden I'm just surrounded by these issues. It just came on me. Whether it's sickness or a disease or a financial failure or I lose my job or someone dies or whatever. It's like I thought things were going well. But when you encounter this, we'll see later you can consider it all joy. But in the midst of that, if you... Turn to God. If you look for him for wisdom, if you trust in him, you keep going on. Then verse 12 says, blessed is the man who persevered through that. Because once he has been approved, and the word approved there is you pass the test. right? It's the test of your faith. You pass the test, then you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is about perseverance. This is about assurance, isn't it? The one who perseveres under trial will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him when you pass the test. Now, it's not saying that if you pass the test, you're in. If you don't pass the test, you're out. It just says that you have the ability to do that and you will go forward. And God in his goodness lets you take the test over if you don't pass the first time. I didn't respond rightly this time, and so next time I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'll get to try, try again. I get to take the test over. What a good and gracious God. And by the way, it's an open book test. He has all the answers for you. That's nice. And so God wants us to persevere to the end. God wants us to, to be there, receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised. And because the Lord has promised, you will receive it, right? What a wonderful thing. When we look at some of these texts in light of assurance, it just brings out all of these new things, and that's exciting for me. I hope it is for you. All right, James 1:12 is one. And then James chapter five and verse 11, which he speaks about Job, he says, "We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcomes of the Lord, outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful." Job was one who went through tribulations, right? Tempted to doubt? Probably. He went through those things, but even his wife said to him, Do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. Don't believe in him anymore. Don't trust him anymore. Wow. That's difficult to keep on. Could cause doubts. But he said, I will trust the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He will continue on. I know my Redeemer lives, all those things like that. But he, there's tribulations that we face, even from this wife you gave me, Lord, right? But no, I'm just kidding. This husband you gave me, these people who are pushing me away. I have a wonderful wife, by the way. That's great. So that's not how I think about that. But, but here it is. I mean, we endure to the end in the midst of tribulations that tempt us to doubt. There are all kinds of things in the world that do that. Next, persecutions tempt us to doubt. Not just tribulations, the things that come upon us in our daily life, but actual persecutions for Christ, for our faith. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says this, You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. You're going to be hated by all because of Christ. You're not going to have any friends on Facebook. Nobody's going to like you. And that's tragic, right? For some. But it comes worse than that, right? The persecution. You may lose your job. You may lose your, your family. You may lose everything. As many people around the world are today, you may lose your life. There are more and more martyrs every day for the of faith of Christ. And you may be one of those that God chooses to use to show that you endure to the end and where you're being burned at the stake or being stoned like Stephen, you say, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And you stand firm. But the question is, do you think you would do that today? Do you have the security of your salvation and the assurance to persevere in the midst of that? I don't know in myself, but I do know based on God's truth that I would. And I just trust in that. And if he puts me in that situation, I know he'll give me the strength to endure and to persevere. And we talk about the little things in life and stuff like that. But when you're persecuted for Christ and it comes down to you deny him or you're killed or your children are killed or you're tortured, what are you going to do? It's more than just this nice doctrine that helps us to get through the day. It's about living for Christ and being willing to die for him. So think about those things. Persecutions tempt us to doubt. And many of these people in the New Testament were facing those very things. So perseverance is needed in this fallen world. You think about Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul writes, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. What a great testimony. It shows us that those who endure, those who persevere and they have that faith, They continue in that faith in the midst of all your persecutions and all of your afflictions. You endured. That's a great testimony. But it shows us that as we live in a fallen world, persecutions will tempt us to doubt. But we hold to that faith and we endure by God's grace knowing that he will complete what he has started. The next thing there, perseverance is needed in a fallen world because false teachers will tempt us to doubt. You may have experienced this in your life. I've experienced it in my life. There's teaching something and something is, just doesn't seem right. Is it me? Is it the Holy Spirit? Am I not spiritual? Am I in sin? Do I not get it? What's going on here? And you begin to question your own salvation. Maybe I'm the one because they're like, oh, no, it's, you're quenching the Spirit. You're doing these things. It's like, no, that's not what the Bible says. And, and it's hard. And it can cause you to doubt your own salvation. But you come back to the truth, and God encourages you, and the true uh, believers come and encourage you, and it's amazing to see that. But false teachers can tempt us to doubt. It happened in Jude, right? We hear this every week. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and keep you, right? Right? It starts out in verse 4. Are you talking about what's going on there? For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Lord and Je- Lord, Master and Lord Jesus Christ. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life and have mercy on some who are doubting because of these false teachers. But he reminds them, just like we're being reminded that God is the one who is keeping you. He called you and he kept you. We saw last time in verse 1 of Jude. And he will keep you to the end. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to hold, keep, hold you, present you holy and blameless before the presence of God. So false teachers can tempt us to doubt as well. And maybe you've been experiencing that in the past. But just go back to the word. Talk to an elder. Talk to someone like, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm confused. I don't know what happened. I'm still struggling even if I left an old church and I've come here. I'm still struggling with these things that caused me to doubt my salvation. It happens all the time. So talk to someone and help them to see what you're struggling with so that you can get rid of those doubts. So perseverance is needed in a fallen world also because our sins tempt us to doubt. Our sins tempt us to doubt. Now, Paul don't believe he doubted his salvation, but he tells us things like this as he walks in the flesh and struggles with that. For what am I, am, I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing that, which I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. And he says later on, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. That can be a lot of our very words. I want to please God. I want to do what He says. But I see the struggle within me. We still have the flesh, the sinful flesh, that wants to do all the sinful things. And yet we have this new nature and we have the Holy Spirit that keeps moving us in the direction of being pleasing to God. But we struggle and we don't do what we want to do. Our want is to please God. Our want is not to be sinfully angry, to not be selfish, to not be unself-controlled. All of those things. We want to be pleasing to God, but... We struggle. And so our sins can tempt us to doubt. But thankfully, Paul, we don't believe, doubted in that way. He may have doubted too because he is a human, right? Even though he was the apostle and saw Jesus. He comes to the end and says, Who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who found, provided a way for us to be saved, to be redeemed. And we will have a new body. Another one, if you're concerned about Paul, here's First Thessalonians chapter four and verse three to five. A different, thing, different perspective. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in sinful, lustful passions, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So, if I'm struggling with these things, with immorality. I'm acting like a Gentile who does not know God. Can I doubt my salvation in that? Yeah, and you probably should. But can you struggle with some of those things and still be a believer and be regenerate? Yeah, you can. But our sin tempts us to doubt if we are ever saved. And we're going to look next week of how we deal with those things and working through that. But here's the reality. If I'm struggling with immorality and I read this passage, like, wow, maybe I don't know God. Maybe I'm not trusting him for the power and the ability to overcome this. Maybe I don't want to please him and I just want to please myself. And so our sins can tempt us to doubt if we struggle with them. But can a believer have a minor struggle with this? They can. And they can be forgiven and they repent, right? All right, so perseverance is needed in a fallen world because of our sins that tempt us to doubt. And secondly, perseverance is, We need to know, is God working through us? Perseverance is, again, God working through us. Now, God's not doing everything. We have to do something here, but it is God working through us for His glory, right? First, there's us, right? In Philippians 2.12, it says this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, We're to be working at it. And we want to work at it because we're born again. But he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. How is that? As you continue practicing these things. As you continue working on the fruit of the Spirit. Growing in Christ's likeness. Working out your salvation. Right? These things we're to be doing, not so that we, are going, we get into heaven, but because it is uh, reserved for us in heaven. So, that's us, and here's God, right? We know the second part of Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you work out your salvation with fear and trembling... Knowing it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so, as I persevere in the faith, as I persevere in trials and doubts and difficulties, I am doing my best to be pleasing to God, to overcome sin, to to work out my salvation. But at the same time, I have to remember it is God who's at work in me, driving me forward, moving me forward. To work and to will, to will and to work for his good pleasure. He wants me to be pleasing to him. He is empowering me by his enabling grace to do that. He is putting me in situations providentially that will test me, but also providing the way of a scrape so that I will be able to endure it. He is doing these things. And he just gives me enough that I can handle so that I can overcome myself and trust in him right? He's not going to give you more than you can handle, but it feels like it, because if we can handle it all, it's like, hey, that's no problem, but we need help, right? And that's where we see things like the Holy Spirit working in our lives, right, to to help us, and you have that little passage about him crying, Abba, Father, right? You know, the Holy Spirit works in us, and so we cry out, Abba, Father, and he is working to help us, and he is showing us the way, and I, and I have a father, I've, you know, some people say, well, it's like saying daddy. And I, I understand the, the fil- familiarity of that and those things like that and how he's working in our lives. And, and that's a great thing. I wouldn't say that, but I kind of think of it like this, and this may be helpful. Sometimes my kids work with me and they're doing something and, and they're doing their best over there and I'm letting them have at it. And they're following the instructions and they're going along and, and, and I'm watching and then they just get to the point and they're just like, dad, I need help. I can't do this. And so I go and I look at what's going on and I encourage them in what they did right and I help them and they know that I can help them to succeed. And that's how I see that Abba Father thing. You have God the Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit in us. I'm working along. I'm trying to follow the instructions. I'm doing my best. It's just not working and I have to turn to the dad. I need help. And the Holy Spirit prompts that, and he comes, and he encourages us. And he helps us to overcome those things. And he is always there, and I know he's watching, (laughs) but I want to do my best. And so sometimes I just have to say, I need help. Because he is at work in me, both the will and the work for his pleasure. And he has given us the Holy Spirit. And so I know that I can succeed with his help. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I am confident. I am assured, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That's how he starts out. Before he gets to work out your salvation. God is going to do this. I am confident in God's work in you that he he who began this good work which is evidence in your life will complete it. And so it is us working but it is also God working through us helping us to persevere. We will persevere to the end, Paul says. God tells us. But we have to work at it. And do our best. And the reason we work at it and do our best, because it gives us assurance. It shows us that God is working in us. It shows us that change is happening. And it's like, oh, I have changed. I am growing. I am pursuing holiness. I do see the fruit of spirit in my life. And we're growing in those ways, right? And so perseverance is God working through us. And then number three, perseverance is experienced through obedience, It's experienced through obedience. And those different aspects of that, number one, is meditating on God's word. As we do what God has called us to do, as some people call it, practice the spiritual disciplines, we begin to persevere and we begin to experience through obedience our assurance that we are persevering. We are meditating on God's word, like Psalm 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. If you delight in the law of the Lord, it's because you've been born again. And then you see the things that he has called you to do, even in Psalm 1, right? Where blessed is a man who does not walk in the path of the wicked, or the counsel, and all of those things like that. But he delights in the law of the Lord, and he will be prosperous in all that he does. And you see God changing our hearts and doing those things. You long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. But most importantly, like Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 tell us, we want to delight in the Lord. We want to spend time with him. We want to have that relationship with him to grow and know more about this one who has saved us and is sanctifying us. Let, not the, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. That's what we delight in. That's what God delights in, just spending time with him and knowing him. And that's a wonderful thing that helps us to persevere as God reveals himself more and more through his word. Through his word, It's amazing. And that helps us, and that's what God has intended. Also, by continuing in prayer. We continue in prayer. Now, we struggle sometimes with prayer. We struggle sometimes with being in the Word, but God gives us that grace to keep coming back because we know it is uh, beneficial for us. So Ephesians 6.18, he says, "...with all perseverance, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints." So here he's connecting prayer with perseverance. As we pray, as we persevere, as we bring our petitions before the Lord and pray for others and pray for ourselves, we see God working. And that gives us more confidence in our assurance of salvation. We're persevering to the end. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, now, this is one of those famous counseling verses, right? But in this, you see how in, when we're in prayer and when we're turning to God and when we're growing in sanctification through our perseverance, we experience the peace of God. You experience that. He says, be anxious for nothing. Well, Okay, I'm praying now, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so we're praying about a struggle that we're having in our life. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God has said, when I'm anxious, when I'm worried about things, when I'm considering all the what-ifs rather than the realities of today, then I can go to Him And I can pray and bring my petitions and be thankful for the good things that he has done in my life and that his peace, which surpasses all comprehension, guards our hearts and our minds. He gives us his peace. And you feel peaceful. And it's things like that where It shouldn't be that way. I have all of these problems. I'm in these doubts and I'm in these difficulties and I shouldn't have any peace. That's why I was anxious but I go and do what God has said and all of a sudden everything's okay. I'm just at peace. My heart rate goes down. I'm trusting in the Lord. God does those things and calls us to do those things so that we can know that we are persevering. We are growing in our sanctification. It's an experiential aspect of our life with Christ. Psalm 5, verse 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. We pray and we see God answer our prayers. And that then gives us assurance as well. That God is using us and God is working in our lives. And he gets all the glory. And so that helps us to persevere as well. And then next, we're practicing obedience, right? It's perseverance is experienced through obedience, but well, we have to practice obedience, but God talks about that specifically, Like in John 15:10, "If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." When I don't want to obey, when it seems hard and difficult and it's not my selfish way of doing things, I don't want to obey. But he says, do it anyway and I will give you my joy. I will give you my joy. You get to experience some of the joy of God when you obey. And so you're cranky and grumpy and over here and you don't want to do it. You're like, all right, I'm just going to obey. And so I go and I obey and I do it God's way and all of a sudden I have this joy that I shouldn't have because I didn't want to do it. Isn't God amazing how he changes us experientially to help us to see that we are persevering in the faith? God is so good to us. And then through confession and repenting of sin, right? Psalm 51, we're not going to read the whole thing, but he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit, right? And then in 1 John chapter 1, In verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The guilt that we had is no longer there. We have a clear conscience. We've been forgiven. And we have the joy of our original salvation that shows us that we were forgiven. And God gives us, like, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. All of this is the work of God in us through that regeneration, through that preservation, causing us to see that we are persevering to the end and giving us hope and confidence and encouragement. How great that is. I'm just amazed at how God works. The other way is accepting God's discipline, right? We experience preservation, perseverance through obedience by accepting God's discipline. When we sin, when we are falling away, when we're not pursuing holiness, which shows us that believers can get in that situation. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. And so when God brings something into our lives because of the consequences of our sin, we don't say, why is this happening? Lord, I accept your discipline. I accept your grace in this. I accept that you intended for good. I accept that you want me to be more holy, and I am not being holy in this area. And we can thank him for taking it away, for changing our hearts, for causing us to live out those consequences. And so we don't want to regard it lightly, and we don't want to faint or fall away or get away from the discipline of God. We want to accept it. Accept it as a good thing from our loving Heavenly Father, just like the Father who disciplines His Son because He loves Him. And we accept that, and we're thankful for that. And what a good thing God does for us if we accept it that way. The next thing we look at is persevering. persevering is experienced through obedience of cultivating spiritual fruit. Right? Cultivating that spiritual fruit... 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 says this about some of those spiritual fruits. Now, for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Again, these fruits of the spirits are connected with perseverance. You're developing, you're cultivating the fruits of the Spirit, which help you to see that you are persevering in the faith and help you to persevere in the faith. If you look at 2 Peter, he says, And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you're doing these things and you are useful for God. Let's see if it's going to change. We look at Galatians 5, 19-24. Comparing the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And we know about those, right? Here's what I was before. The deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes. All of those things that kept us from getting into the kingdom of God because we were unrepentant, we were unregenerate, we were living according to the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God saves us and then we work to cultivate the fruit of the spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we are persevering in overcoming all of our sinful tendencies before and replacing them with the fruit of the Spirit. And as you see those things happening in your life, then you begin to say, ah, this is good. This is encouraging. I'm persevering. I am born again. If I have doubts, look back in your life and say, has anything changed since I became a believer? Am I still sinfully angry just like I was before or am I less angry and does it take longer? Am I dealing with it differently? Am I still as selfish as I used to be or do now do I think of others and I'm encouraging them and helping them? Am I still just as immoral as I used to be or have I put that off and I've turned to... Being pure and holy and righteous and things like that. So if you see those fruits in your life, as you are cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, first you have the heart to do that, which is uh, encouraging. And not only that, you see God helping you to change as only He can. And that's encouraging. So as we persevere in obedience, we get to experience some of the things that God has done and, and called us to as we are conformed to the image of His Son. So these are great and helpful things. The next thing we do is loving other Christians, right? The obedience of loving other Christians. We said in the beginning, sometimes I don't want to go to church and I don't like those people. Well, sometimes that's that way, but we didn't get to choose this family, right? We got in-laws and outlaws here, and so we just have to do what God has said. But when we see those things and we get to know them and we love them, and God changes our heart toward them, because we are doing what he has called us to do out of obedience, we begin to love them. And our hearts change. And we begin to see this. And Jesus said, John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love the people in the church, you can be assured of your salvation that you are a disciple of Christ, that you are a follower of Christ. And that is the testimony that we have to the world as well. And then proclaiming the gospel, right? Remember from the parable of the sower, as Pastor Randy taught us? The faithful uh, parable, the, the, the sower there, the seed in good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Hold it fast, bear fruit with perseverance. And here it is again. We're proclaiming the gospel, and then it yields a, a, the crop of 30, 60, and 100 fold, right? And as he said, there's that present active indicative. It's continuing to do it. You continue to believe, you continue to proclaim, you continue to have faith. And the gospel continues to grow. Even though, as he says with the other seeds, that you know, there's not much happening there. The kingdom of God is growing through these faithful people. And you go and share the gospel, and they share the gospel. And it keeps growing, and keeps growing, and keeps growing. And bearing fruit, because we are faithful to do that. Because that is what God has required us to do in his providential world of this of the gospel that they must hear the gospel in order to believe even though it's the holy spirit working in and through that we must proclaim it and so we do that and then someone comes to faith and we're just amazed we should be but then we shouldn't be because that's what god said would happen to some and so everyone god puts in front of us we presume are among the elect right and so we share the gospel and see how it goes But some plant, some water, and God makes the growth. So those are some things that we can do. And then the last part here, finding joy in the midst of tribulations. We can persevere and experience perseverance through obedience by finding joy in the midst of tribulations. That's not easy. Some people look at James and say, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's like, oh. I'm, I'm still counting. I can't find that number yet. But we can consider it when we look at what it's intended to produce, right? Romans 5.3 says this. Not only this, but we also exult, rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about Perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. There's rejoicing and tribulation in perseverance. All summed up. God's very clear, very nice. But that's how, right? We exult because we know That the tribulation brings about perseverance to the end. And perseverance, proven character, it changes us, grows us. And proven character, hope, because we see God working and changing us, we have the hope of eternal life. And that hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. And whatever God is putting into our life, it's because He loves us. And we know that. And we know we may not be joyful in the midst of it, but we can look forward to what God is doing and find joy, right? We know, Romans says, that all things work together for good to those those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So that, because He predestined us to become conformed to the image of His Son. And so we look in the tribulation, we think, I know this is going to be for good, but He is conforming me to the image of His Son. And that's the joy. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to call the church to pray for me. I'm going to work through these things. I'm going to remember the promises of God. I'm going to hold to my assurance, and I'm going to see how it works out. But I don't know, but I have joy knowing that he will work it out for good because I love him. James 1, 2 to 4, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your praise produces that endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's his goal, right? And then 1 Peter 3. And we'll just read this as we close. In the context, again, of tribulation, of perseverance of questioning their salvation in the midst of difficult times and false teachers and all the things there he starts out blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead ...to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away... ...reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith... ...for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have regeneration, you have preservation, you have perseverance, you have glorification because you're going to see Christ and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. What a blessing. And so in conclusion, the doctrine of persever- persever- perseverance, perseverance, perseverance then aids in our assurance of salvation because we can know perseverance is needed in a fallen world. Perseverance is God working through us and perseverance is experienced through obedience. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have given us such good news. May we carry this in our heart and cherish it. May we preach the gospel to ourselves each day reminding us of what you have done, are doing, and will do in us and through us for your glory, for Christ's sake, who made it all possible. In whose name we rejoice and pray. Amen.